Howdy, peeps, and welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Tuesday night, and we're live with the Meeple Syrup Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is me, myself, and I, Sen Fung Lim, here with my gracious, gracious co-hosts, Jesse Wright and Erica Buyuris. So how is everyone doing? Okay, I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm coming to the end of the school year. I'm almost done. Me too. Yeah. So that two more days? Did I see that? Yeah, two more days. Two more days. And then school uh, I mean, for summer? Well, I'm so close. Forever. <laughs> really, Friday's not much of a day. No, Friday is a meeting, and then I have to like literally we move know. into a whole other classroom. <laughs> yeah, so it's a different type of day for elementary school. So It's called like moving. It's like moving a small apartment from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And you do it maybe about once a year. Yeah. And then my, my day con consists of uh, uploading files to WebAdvisor and saying, your marks are in. That's <laughs> what my day consists of. And, and I mean, obviously other stuff as well. So, um, oh, this is interesting. So we're in, by the way, we're using BeLive, uh, which is the app that we use to stream out there to everybody in Maple Syrup Land. And um, this is version 2.0 of the studio. So we were in studio beta last time. Oh, it's still kind of the beta. But um, we used to be able to see the stats of people. Oh, there they are. I can you, see have the stats. To have, yeah. you have to click on it. I just realized yeah. that too. It, it looks so weird from our end. Yeah. Sorry, Although, I whispered adding this. It was this. much different before, but now you just hover <laughs> there they are. You click on it and it stays. Or no, maybe I'm just still hovering. Anyway, let's continue. Oh, no, you can pin it. I can pin it there. All right, there you go. We're learning new what? things about our software, guys. Yeah, there you go. Um, so. Zach Connolly says that school ended today in New York. So, yeah, and like John Gilmore's kids have been out for like a month and a half or something. So yeah. it's, it's all strange seeing people... Uh, get out of school at different times when you're so, you know, people are so egocentric around what they think life is like. It's pretty funny. Anyway, today's Dissecting the Game where the three of us take a topic and today's topic is, what is it? Dexterity. I wish I had a pile yeah. of things to drop. I know, we need like a big, <laughs> I have, I have, I, I, have I, I, got, I, got, I got Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles dropping from the sky. I can the grab a junk there. there you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, Oh, interesting. So today we are going to talk about what are dexterity games. Interesting. So some more new things about our new software is that it brings up the um, the item and then it shrinks it. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. All this cool stuff. Uh, hello to Van Overbay and hi to Robert Gesslinger. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, we're going to talk about dexterity games. And the first question is, what are dexterity games? I forgot to put a little you know, question mark at the end of the, the word right there, but it should question be right there. Question mark? Yeah, yeah, dexterity games. So, Jesse, what do you think dexterity games entail? Uh, a dexterity game is any game where the relevant skill for winning has to do with your capability to move your body. Okay. It's about manipulating yourself is like one of the key skills. Okay. Erica, what would you think? Is there something yeah, to no, add? No, no. There is something that's often very active about it. And it tends to be something that is somewhat physically connected. Like there, I think there has to be that physical element, whatever it's like a placing thing or your whole body or whatever it is. There's definitely that element to it because when we often think dexterity games, we actually think, you need a bit more space, I think, for that reason, too, because who knows what's going to be flailing around. 
Mm, interesting. Um, Daniel Zayas is around. Shem Phillips is around. Hey to everyone else that's in. Uh, Dexterity Games, uh, is, there a, is there a time element to Dexterity Games? Sometimes. Some are. I think it depends. Like, I, I, I was going to say, I noticed a bit of a trend when I was looking through, like, different Dexterity Games that if they have longevity, eventually there becomes the speed versions of them. It's kind of like, okay, we've mastered this. How do we make it faster and harder? Right, is that, right, right, is right, that right. what we expect for Junk Art? Junk Art 2.0? Do it in 30 well, seconds? That's well, like what Jenga there are does. speed elements, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. There are so definitely, definitely yeah. variants. Yeah. And the elastic variant for Jenga? Mm. I have a Jenga. I have like elasticans. thirty different versions of Jenga. I think downstairs, and I definitely have one that has like an engine underneath it that vibrates every now and then that you can't. Time. There's an earthquake one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's pretty fun. I, I can only I mean, imagine how many versions of Tetris. Oh, sorry, of uh, I was gonna say Tetris. I own the Tetris version uh, of the Tetris version too. Uh, of Jenga. There really is like that's probably insane if you actually own them all. I don't think I own them all. I just own a whole bunch. Hmm. Uh, I know because I, I like. Do you, do you have the one with the the trapezoidal pieces? Yeah, that's extreme. Yeah, that's the green my and favorite. black ones. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I, I really like. I like using that one for dread the most. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> dexterity games. Jesse, you asked before we got on air. Yeah. If quick reaction games are dexterity games. Yep. And what do you think? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Because Good. by my definition, dexterity games are games where part of the relevant skill is manipulating your own body. Um, and quick reaction games are about partly often reaching and grabbing a thing. And so like at faster than other people. So there's right. a physical so, skill. Good. Okay. So Van, Van, Overbay, Van Overbay is saying requires a physical skill. There's Van. That's what most of them are. You're you're throwing, you're flicking, you're stacking, yeah. you're something. Yeah. I mean, almost always, like ninety percent of the time, something with your hands are going on. Yeah. And Zach Connolly is saying yeah. dexterity games use physical abilities as the randomizer. Look at Zach yeah, getting deep. Well, yeah. there's skill, and I think mm -hmm. we can get into that later. Where it depends on the mm -hmm. type of dexterity. I'll be fair, but for the most part, there is a skill to these things. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes the aversion to dexterity is that that is not everybody's skill set. Yep, uh, just like Robert. Robert says, "I love dexterity games, but normally I refer to them as Robert has already lost." <laughs> See, there you go. Because he, he loses them all the time. Yeah, I get that. Um, so if we're talking about um, dexterity games, and I think that might be where the quick reaction comes into it, um, is that that may reduce some people's dexterity skills in some ways, right? If you think okay. about it. Yeah. Um, also, also, something about... Uh, dexterity as a randomizer when Zach was saying that it's like I wonder if that's true maybe would you consider a game that used uh, component drops as a dexterity game there's a way to find out because component dropping is a randomizer so there was a, a game that just I think is fulfilling on Kickstarter now dungeon drop yeah right is that a dexterity mm -hmm. game I don't know so I don't know if uh Mordem Amorosa is a dexterity game, or Shogun slash Wallenstein is a dexterity game. If you've ever mm -hmm. seen those where you drop the cubes in the in the yeah. uh, in the uh, la 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 la, right? The it's not really a it's not really a dice tower. Is the it the one with the battles. little building? Yeah, it has. Where, battles yeah, and then you have to it. figure out what side, what, what level it falls mm -hmm. into by listening. Well, 
I will say that it, it is in one, the, one of the Dice Tower lists of top 10 dexterities. Okay, I think it's a really neat game. I don't consider it dexterity, but maybe it is. Who knows? Um, aiming on holding. These are things that Alex uh, is saying here that yeah, I, aiming I gonna, and holding. I was going to say, yeah, I think we can kind of look at them as two camps and then we can kind of continue down either thought process for those two. But most dexterity seems to fall into one of two things. Either you are building stacking something or you are flicking knocking down something. And so I think it depends on like what kind we're thinking of to like how far we can then stretch those terms. Mm. Okay. Another thing I was thinking of was maybe even more than anything, it's accuracy. A like lot requiring accuracy. Stuff. Yeah. Trying to, actually, I'm trying to think or of anything. precision. Yeah, timing, precision accuracy, kind of precision. Physical precision. Yeah. Okay. So um, why don't we go through some of the lists before we get on to how to design these things? Because we're going to talk about that. I, li I like that Zach Connolly said this. Uh, he said, uh, dexterity isn't my dump stat. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Neither It's not mine either. Apparently, charisma is my dump stat. So, uh. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm really good at some dexterity and just horrendous at other kinds of dexterity. So. It's it's funny. If, you, if you're Facebook friends with Martin Poole from over in the UK, he was talking about uh, uh, karate chopping a fly out of midair. And I, I said, you know, come back when you can catch them in your hand without killing them and then let them go. Because that's I can do that, right? I can catch flies out of the air. So I have really good dexterity. Uh, Jay is ridiculous at dexterity as well. So the two of us playing a dexterity game, like nobody really likes playing with us because we're just really good at it for some reason. Yeah, doesn't it suck when know. you're banned from a game? Like, you can't yeah. ban me from a game because I got banned from Shaky Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Travis Travis is saying that uh, Mortimer Rosa, Wallenstein, et cetera, et cetera, don't really feel like dexterity. Um, mm -hmm. Skill in physical elements doesn't really, you know, go towards winning the game so much so. Mm. Maybe that's a, yeah. another kind of factor into it is that your skill yeah. level is a factor in your ability to win. Yeah. Oh, well, here, going back to the, not the list, but um, have you guys ever played uh, Safranito? It's the, it's the marketing, it's a market game, but you use dexterity to kind of yes, bid on spices and stuff. Um, Robert is just saying that uh, it came up recently in a conversation about is this a dexterity game or not? And I, I would say mm. it's a dexterity game, but. Well, um, there are a lot of ones where you throw dice at things, like either it's a, even if you throw it at a board or throw it at other dice, some people might not say this dexterity, but a lot of people would. Yeah. yeah. Let's go through some of the lists. What do we got going on here? Which list right. are we starting with, Erica? That's a good question. Uh, you know what? Let's see what some of the more recent ones. So uh, we're going around kind of compiling uh, lists of people's top 10 uh, dexterities because it also gives us a good chance to talk about ones that we've played as well. Okay. Um, and it's I fun too because. I lists in my, in my little area. Sure. Why don't we look at the. Do you want to do the Dice Tower one first? Come here. Come here. Because we got at least three different people, <laughs> their opinions. All right. So. Uh, these are if going from 10 to 1, if anyone can see the images. So we go down. Let's go, you know, let's look at Tom's, because Tom's interesting. People either very much agree with him or don't. Uh, and and you'll like Z. When we get to Z, we can give a big shout out to Sun as well, because number one is Junker. Well, anyway, yeah. 
On Tom's, uh, we've got Dr. Eureka. So that's when we pour the marbles into each other, trying to make your little concoctions. Yep. And I have to say, that's a really cute one. My kids mm -hmm. love that one. I love <laughs> They're not good at it, but they love it. <laughs> um, interestingly, he had us number nine, Suspend. So Melissa and Doug is a kid's company that usually makes wooden toys, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, but they have Yeah, that kind of stuff. And so this was the metal, like they're metal bars that are bent into these little like um, curved pieces with multiple mm. curves on them. And mm. you're sort of just like, it's almost like this teeter-totter thing happening where you're stacking them, but trying to get them to balance. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty neat, it's like a little gravity thing. Uh, Flip Ships is actually on a lot of lists. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one where, to be, I remember playing this for free when we used to play, play in college hits and play like football on a table and you make the little square. Anyone yeah. else play that? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Flip Ships, uh, Cube Quest. I know I have never played this one, but I think it's I haven't either. Sorry. Yeah, it's just... basically a flicking game, but you're flicking cubes. Uh, oh, I do remember it. I what, haven't played it. What's though. interesting yeah. about it is that, you know, big chunky dice don't flick very nicely. It, ow. Look it's out. true. Well, <laughs> that, but also like discs often get used in flicking games because they're, they usually fire straight and clean. Yeah. And it's, whereas if you flick a die, it's very easy to make it like jump and yeah. like do different kinds of stuff. And so Cube Quest relies on that. And then landing well, on is it, is it easy to do it predictably things. though? You, it's a skill. You can get yeah. better at it, right? It's like, it's like hitting a, a pool ball, right? If you mm -hmm. hit it from the right angle or with the right, um, uh, force in the right way, it'll jump in a predictable way. Right, and we should definitely talk about that later, Jesse, when we talk about issues in designing. Yes. Um, skill being one of them. Yeah, What's next? They'll come up. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, I actually have not played this one either. Uh, this one's Dungeon Fighter. Oh, that is the um, horrible game. Is this yeah. one? I think this is one where dice are striking dice, aren't they? Or uh, Kind of. You're aiming at a target that's uh, in the middle of the table. It's a board that has a target and some holes and each kind of concentric ring has like increasing levels of goodness in how you're mm -hmm. affecting uh, the creatures that you're fighting. It's funny. This was my, my, one of my favorite dungeon crawling games uh, of the year when it came out because it didn't feel like you were crawling. It felt like you were actually fighting your way through a dungeon mm -hmm. and it was funny. And you got, you know, you had to blindfold it or under your armpit, under your leg, you know, different shots to, to trick do shot better game. things. Yeah. It's a trick shot game. That's a good call. Okay. That's a good call. Yeah, it's fun. All right, I like see it. that you're having some fun. Uh, you're having a fun, if a, a more interesting way of using your dice, which is, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of that's clever. Uh, Beast of Balance. Uh, I remember this one on Kickstarter. I remember mm -hmm. it being quite expensive too because all of the pieces um, actually have some sort of like a, basically a memory chip inside. Like it knows which piece you're using, and you're putting them on a balance. And how you stack them is how you can get points because I think there's little pieces that you can wedge in. And oh, that's it'll even change there was the. Yeah, I think you can even change the abilities of the animals slightly based on the piece you stack. Like it's all very. Uh, that's why I'm pretty sure it was really expensive. You can already hear how much has probably went into this game. Um, I've seen it around actually a little bit, but they tend to be like really high end toy stores. I'll be honest, it's a neat looking game. Yeah. I don't know if you need to go that technic. Like it's very technology focused. I thought it. I actually thought I saw it being like blown out at some store. Like somebody had posted. It of it being blown out but anyways that's neither here nor there yeah um yeah. I, th I think it did well on kickstarter so i don't know yeah. uh the next one was tumbling dice oh yeah yeah so tumbling and dice so is I, the kind of game that people yeah. have like tournaments of right because it's 
It's just easy to pick up and you're rolling it's dice where, down this land, right? Yeah. Yeah, down these tiers. And you're trying to get them to land on the furthest tier, which is also the smallest tier. Uh, and also has like these little pegs on it that kind of block you from ever really getting there. Uh, and so, yeah, like Tumbling Dice and Loop and Louie are some of the more common uh, tournament style games that you'll find at, at um, cons because they're easy to pick up and play. Oh, I love when people get the little, there's a little adapter piece you can buy, by the way, if you've never done this mod on your Looping Louie or Looping Chewy, where I can put two games together. It's a very small piece. It's like this three-pronged thing, but you can, it's how you can put two sets together so you could have the crazy version. Mm -hmm, really nice. eight players. Yeah. It's very cheap if anyone wants to look into it. <laughs> yeah, I think you can print one yourself too, if you look up the yeah. STL file. Uh, flick uh, up. Next one, yeah. flick them up. Yeah, flick so them up. a few versions of flick them up. Very flickable, it's very different from the rest of these because it actually has a story to it, right? It's Ooh. a tale that you play through. Uh, there's expansions that add to the stories. Um, yeah, it's like the Wild parts West. To it. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's, yeah. it's, good it's very neat. Um, I would, I would, uh, I like Flick 'em Up a lot. Uh, I would play Flick 'em Up, I think, more if it, if the rules weren't, you know, when everybody dies, the game's over type thing. It would be, I'd uh, like to just, I, well, it, it's like, it could be over sooner and I'd still like it just as much, right? That's fair. Yeah. Oh, and Catacombs. That's something to consider. Yeah. I have not played this. I want to though, but I've not oh, played this. So, Catacombs is great. Catacombs well, is awesome. I have the heavy metal version of Catacomb, which is the original version. Uh, uh, the original version of Catacombs is like black and white art, like from like 80s D&D style art. It's made by my friend who lives like over there in St. Thomas. Uh, he used to live in Dundas. Uh, my friend, my other friend who I knew from university, Hank, Hank Rabb, is the sales rep for them. Uh, so I've known Catacombs for years. I actually didn't know the designers until we all moved away from London, uh, from Hamilton, where we went to school. Um, so it was just very funny that uh, McMaster was this little hub of gaming, right? Uh, but Catacombs is a dungeon crawler. And in the same year that I got Catacombs, I got Dungeon Fighter. And they actually, again, replaced games like Descent for me in terms of crawling through a dungeon because I could get the same sense of crawling through a dungeon in a much more fast and fun way. So Catacombs is, like Jesse said, that straight shooting flicking game. And as you, it also has campaign and story. And as you level up your character, you get new abilities. And your new abilities are typically uh, represented in, you know, how many more little discs you have to flick or different sizes of discs because now you have magic missile or whatever, right? So it's very cool. All right. And the number one, actually, a lot of people have this one on, the, on their list in general, uh, but it's a 90s game. This is Pitch Car. And because so, it's awesome. going, well, I'm going back to the idea of flicking discs. Your discs are the car and you're flicking them around your track as you're going. Um, yeah, actually, I did see this one come up quite a lot. I was curious. Um, is it still like a consistent print? Is that one of the reasons why? Or I don't think I've actually, I, I've played something yeah. similar, I feel like, but I don't know if I played this one. It was, uh, hold on, keep talking. I'll look it up before I say something false. So, what, <laughs> sorry, what was your question again, Erica? No, I'm curious if it's like, is this like a consistent print? Like, is this one of those things like I walk into like a Walmart somewhere and it's still going? Or is this just like uh, no, no, something no, people it's... love? No, it's, it's so there's many, many versions of it. So there's like the uh, the original Gold Cyber version and Fetty versions and all those stuff. 
from uh, you know in the '90s, but then they just recently reprinted it. I think Eagle Griffin reprinted yep. it, Correct. and then um, they've started to release. Like last year, there was a Kickstarter for all the new parts, mm-hmm. um, like like the loop de loops and the extra jumps and things like that. The problem for me is that I own the original, which doesn't work with the new ones because the MDF is thinner. Uh, so yeah. everything is scaled down a little bit in the new version. So I would have had to buy everything over again, which would make me sad. But my kids actually just brought it out the other week just to play with friends. They say, yeah, my friends like it. Oh, great. Play it. This is good. Play this thing. It's awesome. Yeah. I like Pitch Car a lot. I think it's a great game. And that's something we can get into at some point, too, is that there's a lot of crossover with uh, a lot of these games when you find dexterity lists um, can dip into like this family kids area mm-hmm. as well. Or sometimes even just be flat out. People say, yeah, that's a kid's game. You're like, yeah. And if you like these two games, like one and two in Tom's list, you're really looking at uh, like a, basically an expansion of or extension of Crokinole, really, in a lot of ways. And uh, so that's so pitch car, but. Yeah, less so with pitch car, but definitely with uh, the idea of shooting discs around. Uh, mm. that's, that's definitely a Canadian crokinole thing. Uh, Z's yeah. list. Okay. Z's list had, had crokinole on it. Yes, it does. It does. does. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we've talked um, about flip ships already. Flip ships, yeah. Now, this one looked interesting, this Mord Im Arosa. Yeah, Mordem Arosa is the one that we were talking about earlier. We have different levels of a building. You're Those dropping like, cubes yeah. down this yeah. hole. And what you're doing is you have to listen to find out where the cubes drop. And it's interesting. I don't know if it's dexterity, but I think it's a super cool game. Um, like, I think it's super uh, off the wall. And I, I love it just because it's a, it's concept, a neat design. Yeah. yeah, whether or not it's a, actually a good game is questionable because it's that kind of thing that, you know, if it you're in a really loud space, oh, it, doesn't oh, yeah. like it just doesn't work. Uh, Crokinole is a Canadian classic. It's the one where you have the octagonal uh, yeah. shape with the hole in the middle and the pegs, and you're flicking, trying to sink it in the hole in the middle. Nope. <laughs> Did Sen just disappear? I think Sen just disappeared. Yeah. Um, you're, yeah, it's basically like a bullseye, essentially, with pegs. And But what you're doing is it's lying flat, and you're flicking your discs. Uh, and there's somewhat like a curling element, if anyone... <laughs> watches her nose curling. I don't know if this is just like Canadians do this, but anyway, think kind of curling in a circle. Mm. All right. I don't know. Ish. Um, I, I, would, I, I mean, the, the, the key element of curling is the ability to manipulate the trajectory of the rock by brushing. Yes, the spin right? is there. That's true. But well, no, 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 some, not the spin. I, know, I mean, the might... sweeping. Um, the, the 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 basic aim in spinning curling is like the setup, but the sweeping is also critical, and that's not part of Crokinole. In fact, no, um, not, that's fair. No, no board game actually, I don't think has implemented that kind of thing. That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I actually, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be interesting. Mm. Uh, well, you know what? It almost makes me think, and we'll get down to it because it's on some of these lists. Is uh, we yeah. can talk about after it's like high school <laughs> almost yeah. a little bit because of the. Um, Gyroscope, but anyway. Yeah. Actually, I think we probably should uh, march on from the lists. We're 25 minutes in, and we still haven't oh, sure. talked about design, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that gives a good view of, like, tons of different dexterity games that are out there. Um, if you have a favorite dexterity game or something that's really different, like, share it in the comments. We've seen some people talking about SEAL Team Flicks and uh, <laughs> Hungry, Hungry whether Hippo, or not Strike. Crossfire, uh, Hungry Hungry Hippos. Um, so there's lots of examples to talk about, but 
I mean, we're here to design games. And so what are some of the things that go into designing a dexterity game, right? Um, and it's very unfortunate that Sen has vanished because uh, yeah. we've got some um, questions about junk art from uh, uh, the page today. But when he pops in, I'll throw those at him. Uh, so in the meantime, I don't have any published dexterity games, but I've worked on a few uh, unsuccessfully. And I know that uh, Kodama 3D is in some ways a dexterity game, and I'm sure you being the queen of wild and crazy components have experimented with dexterity. Um, what are some <laughs> so of bad. the ways in which uh, you can get started on making a dexterity game? Or like, how do you make a dexterity game that's different from the standards that are out there? Oh, making something different is a whole other thing. I, I think a lot of dexterity is being inspired by pieces. What could a piece do? Because again, does it fall into that category of like, can I hit it at something? Can I build with it? Can I knock something over with it? Is it something that moves around really easily? Like, it's all about pieces. Like, I think a lot of dexterity games are like, it's component. Yeah. So it's what, what, they, what do they do, right? Um, so yeah, that's the interesting one. I mean, the, to be honest, dexterity is not the easiest thing to prototype. Uh, to actually to create. I think there you can come up with really cool ideas. And I guess this is maybe where you can sometimes take something that would be a skill or activity and then try to expand it out into like, how do I turn this into some sort of competitive thing? Yep. Right? And so I think there's a big element of that. Making losing said. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, he well. just came and nope. went. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you, though. I actually think um, part of what makes dexterity games that stand out stand out is the uniqueness of how they use their components and often the uniqueness of their components. So um, Paul just mentioned riffraff, um, which is a unique component sort of balancing game. And rebound. And yeah, rebound, rebound, which again is like a really unique use of elastics to put a cool I twist love on those little. Board. But and the marbles oh, right. with the and, actual uh, piece around the outside, so they balance. Like it's such. I yeah. thought it was so clever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so David Tome is say, suggesting that um, play with components in a controlled way. Think yeah. about ways to manipulate them, uh, and that's exactly right. And also try to use weird things. I mean, the few dexterity games I have worked on to limited success uh, were inspired by going to a craft store and walking through their laser cut wood selection and then just buying yeah. a bunch of stuff and going home with it. Um, or here's another really good random one is, uh, I don't know what maybe the American equivalent is like, but kind of like a, a thrift store, but we have value villages that bag up just random kids items like toys, but it'll be an entire bag of just random stuff for like a dollar. And uh, it's usually somewhat thematically like linked. So like they're all dolls or all this, you're going to notice these odds and ends bags of just random kids toys that sometimes can make great dexterity pieces because you don't get, you don't like, you're not going to go make plastic. You don't want to make wood unless you're like, I don't know, yeah. your own wood shop. But it's really hard to get pieces. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that later. Like expense is definitely a factor in a lot of dexterity games. Um, but yeah, you need, you need these random things. And you'd be amazed how often I see kids toys, like kids either building toys, food toys, something like that getting turned into a dexterity game. Yeah. And these are people who are kind of like raiding either toy stores or thrift stores or things like that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good tip too. Just collect toys or steal them from your kids if you have them. Um, or steal them from your kids. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's there's one advantage. My kids that... steal my toys, damn it. Thanks, sir. 
yeah well i mean you can get back at them make a dexterity game out of their stuff um sen are you back with us yet i don't know can you hear me you keep yes we can hear you we got sen back this is oh this is weird so i mean hopefully i stick around we just have maybe the problem was because you put the list up and the list is like a void on the page right now. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I, whatever, I, but it's going. funny because I can't actually control any of the any of any of the app anymore. So I'm not even even sure how to quit this. I don't know. We're just gonna have to let it we go. We stream forever. Oh, it's weird because see now um, my page just became unresponsive. So that's what I'm usually quitting for. So something's not right. But you guys keep talking. How about this? And when I'm we end back. the show, you just turn off the computer. And we'll say bye. I could try that. All right, you guys. Um, keep... <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, so Matt Paquette's got an interesting question that follows on this line of discussion. How do you think the accessibility of 3D printers has changed designing dexterity games? I think it's made it easier. I mean, it's like we have we have. Uh, well, you still have to learn. There's a learning curve here, so I will say that. Uh, but I was going to say, like, our Toronto libraries have, a lot of them have 3D printers now. Like, mm -hmm. as long as you take the one-hour course, you can go print. But there's a, definitely a still a financial factor, no matter how you look at it, when it comes yeah. to anything with these machines. Yeah, and, and a precision and factor. One of the things, yeah. one of the things that... Um, is critical in dexterity games and it's really too bad sense dropped out here because uh, we've been working on one for the last like two years um and one of the big challenges we've been having the core design is great the core concept is great it looks awesome but in order to get the play just right we've had to build about six different prototypes because we need to get the exact right physics the pieces need to have the yes. right weight to be able to be controlled but have some chaos to them they need to have the right shapes and so there's just been like hundreds of dollars that's gone into laser cutting wood so that we can like test all of this variety right yeah. and so if you're using plastics and you're doing it with 3d printing that's really cool and that's awesome but you're going to need a good quality 3d printer because you're going to need a good quality uh physics right you so you, you know having like little bits and stuff like the low quality 3d prints or fast prints uh won't cut it for a dexterity design even though it will be fine if you're just sort of prototyping a, a cool piece for a regular euro or something like that so it's definitely yeah. made it more accessible but there's like a new set of challenges that go along with it i honestly think the best tools that you could have if you want to design dexterity games is to like have access to a wood shop and the know-how to like use all of those things um it's true like you need a lathe. You get a lot, a lot of one by one. <laughs> yeah. And just start chatting. You need a lathe. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, you need a few things. Uh, uh -oh. Those are not cheap. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I actually, I'll be fair. I even know somebody who likes to make dexterity games, and he'll even say like, if I can't just find the parts in China, it's not happening. You know what I mean? Like they have to exist yeah. somewhere already, because there is an absolute precision to dexterity. You have to prove it works. Like you're trying to come up with something that is essentially like an action that has to happen. If you can't prove that action can happen, do you yeah. have a game? <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And so that's actually another really uh, difficult challenge with dexterity games I've run into. So I had Haba evaluate a dexterity game a few years ago. Um, and it came back to me. And the main problem they had with it was it was possible to have ambiguous moments. 
there was like one circumstance where it wasn't clear it would have to be a judgment call. And that's just like not acceptable in the kinds of dexterity games that they like to make. And in general, like it's, if you look at the dexterity games that tend to remain popular over time, they tend to have definitive moments and not fuzzy moments. Um, and so even if you have like, even if you have cool mechanics, the issue in mine was that collisions mattered. Um, and so you could get collisions that didn't have clean sequences. Like I hit two things at the same time. And that's yeah, that's now what? Great. But now what, right? And because the sequencing mattered, that was a problem. Um, I did eventually find a solution. It was actually standing, making pieces so they stood up. And so if you hit something, it would fall over. And uh, and I also eliminated sequencing. But like, it's really important to make sure that whatever your dexterity element, it's decisive. Um, mm hmm. But I, that's exactly the issue. And I think that kind of brings us as we're kind of designing into prototyping here is that prototyping is probably the hardest part of dexterity, really, it, unless you already know the pieces you want exist and they already do what you want them to do. So I guess that could be an approach to pay attention to is that if you don't want to be knocking your head against the wall, you don't have that skill to make up these brand new, never before seen pieces, because that will deter a lot of publishers. And we can talk about that a little bit uh, yeah. like after this this talk, but um, you know, find things that are readily produced. Is there somebody who already turns out all of these little wooden animals or all of these oblong blocks or whatever it is, do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's sometimes just really helpful to be like, yeah, this already exists. And that, as you said, like going down the art store can be a good example that because yep. you know you can go back for more and so yep. that has to sometimes be a factor that's right same with same with scavenging from toy products right if if it was in a toy that means some factory somewhere made it yeah. right yes. um, and so there isn't a new engineering problem to solve um mm. So still in like roughly in the design space, although of course prototyping is definitely related in dexterity games, we have one question that's been floating since the beginning. So Herb Stanway had asked, oh. um, do you think there's a void waiting to be filled for strategy games meant for the over 14 crowd that includes dexterity? Mm -hmm. There doesn't seem to be many on the market. You know what I will say? There's something about dexterity that is its own unfortunate deterrent, as much as I think it could be like people can get competitive in skill, is you can genuinely look bad doing it. And now, if you don't care about that sort of thing, you'll have fun, but let's be honest, 14 plus, and the audience, you know, obviously females are growing, but the audience still tends to be male, 14 plus males do not like to look foolish. Most people in general don't like to look foolish unless they're prepared and ready for it and everyone around them is willing to do it too. There is very much a, the mentality you approach this game is how much fun you're gonna have. Yeah, for a lot of dexterity wonder, games, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, I've seen uh, people get like super serious over Jenga. So there's definitely like- There's that competitive thing. Like if you're yeah. willing to commit, right? And you're like, okay, this actually still is a skill game. And that's why yeah. that if you've ever seen like ice cool like competitions, it's like there's down here and then there's up here. And it's like there's almost no middle ground. So then you kind of also with dexterity have to be playing with like players yeah. to actually have a good game. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think I think Herb, that's going to be the the critical thing. If it's the kind of dexterity game where there's like room for embarrassment, um, might You're not. Gonna- that might be a challenging space, but you said tactical. And so if it's a game where there's a high skill ceiling, it's something like Jenga or ice cool. Um, or even I think Safarino, which we talked about before, it's like a a tossing game where you're tossing to try and bid in an auction. If I recall, Mm -hmm. um, I think those kinds of games are really interesting and there's definitely, uh, untapped design space whether or not there's a market for them i mean that's uh i'm not sure uh to be honest i think there is because people like to play games together like and i'll be like knowing kind of that rough age range of like let's say that 14 ish it's like they are looking for things to have fun with as long as as you said they don't have to look foolish you can have fun without being looking foolish yeah and so sometimes if you can show off skill on top of it that is even more incentive to play because these are games where there's large groups of people often that can play. They can, you know, host additional people, you know, if it's an opportunity maybe to show off a little bit, maybe that's not so bad for some people too. Yeah, that's right. Um, Paul and uh, Rachel Blask have pointed out that billiards, uh, Paul's contribution, and then Rachel, any sport really is a dexterity game for 14 plus that has, tactical elements um so yeah basically I think if you can bi- if you can bet on it <laughs> then you're good to go um, okay, good. uh what do you think the price ceiling is on a dexterity game the components can be awfully pricey especially if yes. you have to do r&d for them if you have to solve engineering problems um that is a problem yeah uh, there are a lot of companies that will just flat out say i this game is too expensive yeah, but on the other hand, Junkart was a really successful dexterity game in its release year, and uh, its price point, if I recall, was in the 100, 110 Canadian range. Yeah, it was about 100, yeah. Yeah, um, and so their approach was to embrace that it was going to be an expensive game and make product, right? The first edition of Junkart was all wood. It was a very yeah, nice wood box. box. Yeah, beautiful slide box right and so if it's already going to be an expensive item you can go the extra mile to try and make it feel worth it yeah go for it Um, you know what i think a big part of junkart 2 was because it is basically a giant box of a bunch of games and that was probably a clever element to it too if i'm going to invest 100 bucks isn't there like 99 different games in that rule book whereas like there's a ton of games with the same components and i think that's also a big selling feature yeah if you're gonna go big yeah i mean it's it's got a lot of variety in it which is part of what makes it because it's a um which part of what makes it sort of stand out from other kinds of stacking games that exist right it's kind of like every stacking game in one i've always mentally likened it to um you know those like you used to get them for christmas uh, christmas like 12 games in one box and it's like junk cards every yes, stacking like, game you could ever want the tiniest stackers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so so yeah i think i think that uh there also are dexterity games that manage to be cheaper and that might just be publishers making decisions to try and go for a volume of sales and hit the right yeah. market space. But usually those are kids games too. Um, and so it's really tricky. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think there's more of a price ceiling than other games, but I think it's a different kind of value proposition than other games. Oh, I think you'll see that a lot with Haba. 
to be honest, like a lot of top dexterity games, even for adults sometimes, tend to be the Habba games. Um, so I'm thinking like obviously the Rhino Hero series, mm -hmm. but again, for the most part, you really are getting cards with a couple wooden bits, and I mean nobody does wooden bits quite like Habba anyway. Yeah. Um, and there was actually another one that was on one of the lists that reminded me of like, oh, that's another Habba dexterity game. Um Strong stuff. That's what that one was. It's the one with the bear. Doing that. Um, but yeah, I, that I, there does seem to be, you know, people will only pay some games. And so I think that's when you start to see there's that little bit of wood. Usually there's some sort of card element and that's kind of how they keep the price point down. And yeah. 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 Okay. So we've talked a bit about designing, being inspired, getting components for, we've alluded to some of the challenges with prototyping. Um, how do you approach playtesting dexterity games? Is there different considerations than your standard tactical Euro game fair? You're nodding yes. So what? Yeah. What are the I'm going to say yes in a lot of different ways because number one, accessibility is a bit of an issue. Um, you, not every buddy is as abled as other people are and that might be actually something you have to factor in as well when you're trying to get playtesters and things like that you don't want to exclude anybody yeah. but something to think about um yeah. and given the physical oh sorry um i was gonna say on that same thing though given that physical skill differences uh can be game breaking uh, it's probably important additionally to specifically ask your playtesters after the game if they usually play these kinds of games and uh, so on and so forth, because we were playtesting some real-time games a couple weeks ago, and one of the playtesters never plays real-time games. And so all of the like balance feedback that was coming, yeah, he couldn't win a single game because all the rest of us have been playtesting real-time games for weeks. Um, and so that's important to remember is that there's, there, there's a physical skill which means you have to take that into account in your playtesting data collection. Um, not just in selection of players, but also balance decisions. Um, and that's something to consider actually in playtesting as well, is that you actually both need to be doing new groups and repeat groups because they're going to improve their skill level. Unfortunately, they won't be able to play with other people, so you kind of need to be able to have a consistent group because they're yeah. gonna level up roughly at the same rate realistically obviously some will kind of even go higher and then you have another problem where what do you do when you have these people you need these people who can max at your game but you need to actually be able to hit them against each other too so there's way more considerations in a lot of ways if you actually want to grind the game out to see where it goes you have to let people become experts at it right yeah. because these are skills and people yeah. can max out skills not everybody though yeah yeah um so what other challenges are there for playtesting dexterity games age because as we said a lot of them fall into the family kids area and well, this is a weird one because obviously choking hazards then become an issue um so the age range is almost always going to be that eight plus because they don't have to worry about the size of the parts mm -hmm. uh but then you have to kind of say if i'm playing this game with kids and adults is the immediate skill level that issue again right like, is, is there something in the game that allows for a level playing field potentially? I'm not saying they can all do this. This is really hard. But yeah. is something where, where adults and kids, older kids, can play together and still have a chance of actually being equals? Right. Yeah, that's really challenging, especially in dexterity games where there is, um, right, physical skill differences can be big difference makers. So 
Um, yeah, that's another really important thing to consider. Uh, table space is another one. Not, <laughs> yes. not all dexterity games can be played in all environments. Um, we were no. talking before about one that relied on sound. If it's a noisy space, if you play test at a, uh, a local gaming store that's basically just a converted warehouse, probably that playtest isn't going to go very well. Um, likewise, a lot of flicking games generally require you to get up and move around the table freely so that you can yeah. get better angles on your shots. And so if you don't have the space for that kind of free movement, you're not going to have uh, um, a good playtest. And so mm. you have to be even more sensitive to features of your environment, how those might affect. Um, yeah, as Paul just mentioned, a challenge to testing dexterity games at his house is uh, there are cats. Animals. <laughs> Animals can definitely be a problem with dexterity yeah. games. I mean, table bumps can ruin the game, right? Um, That's true, right. Knocks better. a Jenga tower over, right? That's and it, game over. Exactly. So yeah, these are, these are definite um, challenges to consider when you're trying to put playtesting together. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other. I mean, space is actually a big issue. It's just in general. Uh, because again, I mean, a lot of people like to take games on the go. So when you're going to be playing one of these games, it's a very intentional, we're setting this up. We can't break anything around us. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's maybe more consideration that has to go into it than you might might be for said yeah. other games on your shelves. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's that's the case. Um, cool. Okay, so that covers playtesting dexterity games. Um, and after you've designed, figured out all the parts accumulation for, built a prototype, playtested it, and it's the most amazing game, there is often the next step for a lot of us is pitching our dexterity games. Um, mm -hmm. Are there unique challenges and considerations that designers should have in mind when they are preparing to show their dexterity games to publishers? Yeah, I think the number one, and this is a hard one, and this goes back to the prototyping problem and the cost problem, mm -hmm. is you're probably gonna have one copy of this thing yeah. uh, for two reasons. Either you got the parts in all these random places and the idea of making a duplicate would be almost impossible, or it took a lot, it, expensive to put together in the first place right and yeah. so or even they can be quite large as well a lot not in a lot of dexterity tend to be the bigger games um so you have all these considerations of like that usually equal out into you've got one yeah all right so that's already a big issue when it comes to pitching a game because what if somebody wants to evaluate it what if they want to take it what if they want it mailed what if they like all of a sudden yeah what are you going to do because this is you have one Yep. Um, so one thing you definitely want to keep in mind if you're going to pitch something and you have one is you will have to make a very clear list of who you intend to show this to. You will have to then decide and probably clear in the meeting unless someone says, I want to take it right now. And then if you know you only have one and you are sacrificing this one and you had other meetings coming up, maybe you do have to say it's like, I'm still going to show it for the rest of the weekend or you can commit to dropping off at the end of the weekend or maybe even to say like, I'll have to wait and see. Like you really do have to think about what you intend with this game because you don't have a lot of choice. If you're giving it to someone, it's gone. That's it, right? You can't describe it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to play it. Uh, so that that's is right. a big factor. 
I would say. Yeah. And often, often these games are heavy, which means if you are going to be shipping it to a publisher or having them ship it back to you, it's going to cost yeah. quite a bit to get that box to wherever it needs to be. Um, and you may find yourself, because it's your only prototype copy, having to pay the cost to ship it back to yourself from the publisher. Um, you know, publishers are often pretty good at sending things back, but when it's a, you know, 10 pound box of wood, they might be uh, understandably hesitant. Um, yeah, and not so everybody wants to put a 10 pound block of wood into their suitcases either. Additionally that, yes, you did because you were showing it off, but not everybody wants to take that home. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, that's something you should definitely have a plan for if you're pitching a heavy dexterity game or a dexterity game that you only have one copy of is exactly how you're going to handle a publisher that wants to evaluate it um, and how you're going to handle, you know, the 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 prototype itself over the course of the convention but also into the future is it something you can build again or is it something that you absolutely need to get back if if a contract doesn't come of it um and that's an issue for sure oh, it's the other thing is not everybody sorry go ahead no those yeah so know that you'll have one if you have the game plan for that one you probably want it for the whole weekend so you're probably going to say uh, you know, I've got other meetings I'm showing it at and then have to decide what you're doing with it by the end of the weekend. Um, but just be upfront and clear with people what you intend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, the next issue is not every publisher will do a dexterity game. It's not yeah. their forte. It's not what they want to do or worry about or produce or, you know, you're going to have to do some research first is yeah. are you approaching yeah. someone who will even do your game? Yeah, and th that research will require taking into consideration if it's the kind of company that's going to have the um, manufacturing resources to make it happen. So probably you're not going to go to a company like Mayfair, who mostly just makes you know cardboard and wood euros with your mm -hmm. big fancy plastic heavy stacking game. Um, You'd be better to look at companies like Blue Orange uh, because they tend to make, not just because they make dexterity games, but because they do a lot of work in plastics. And so they probably have the manufacturing connections to actually solve the engineering problem with that comes with taking your game and upscaling it to 10,000 copies. Um, and so, so yeah, don't just think about whether it fits in their line, but also ask yourself if they're likely to have the the resources or capacity to make it happen. Um, and don't be afraid to send an email and ask, because uh, you never know. Well, here's the thing. If you actually, and this is something you can, you might want to get, like if someone's really interested, give this a try. If you know there's a company you'd really love to work with and they do dexterity games and they already have other games, go get those game parts. Because if you can make a game that essentially already uses their parts, you are a, a huge step forward compared to everything else that they're seeing because they already own them. Yeah, I mean, that's the habit design contest every year, right? I mean, they're not just that looking is. for dexterity games, but you know, if you sign up for that contest, you can just get a big old box of habit game parts um, and yeah. you're supposed to use those. Uh, Eric is asking, are there challenges to making dexterity games that are not just dexterity? Could you make a game where there is strategy and tactical decisions, but dexterity? Or would lack of skill and dexterity make losing stuff you got through tactical skill frustrating? 
Um, well, his example is. The... Sorry, go ahead. I would say his example is flicking boulders in Fireball Island. It's not a huge part of the game, but if you're really good at it, it can give you a lot of bonuses. Yeah. Um, uh, so it kind of sounded like, again, I, I haven't played these ones, but like kind of the idea of like Dungeon Fighter and stuff like that, like the dexterity element seems to be a part of it, but then there's yeah. more game than that. Anyway. Well, uh, Dungeon no? Fighter, as I recall, is basically um, trick shot accuracy. Um, mm. So it is a lot of dexterity and not super heavy on tactics. Um, okay. I think I think a lot of the games in junk art um, try to be Euro dexterity games, um, right? So there's ones where you're like drafting pieces and you're going to score. You always score for the height of your tower. So there in junk art always has a dexterity thing. Um, you're trying to make the tallest tower and not get it, not, not knock it mm -hmm. over. And so you're always doing the stacking game. But usually there's a, whatever city you're playing has some secondary scoring condition that is pushing your decisions around, whether you're trying to collect pieces of the same color or mm -hmm. make pieces not touch pieces of the same color or- um, Then I would say actually, Meeple Circus. Meeple Circus can be like that too. Probably, um, I could see that because if you, if you wanna max out those points, it's all about combining every limitation you've been given. Like, you know what I mean? Or oh, any of the combinations that you've been given. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the, and similar to Meeple Circus, the, my favorite city in junk art, Montreal, I think actually has a lot of tactics to it. Um, mm -hmm. Where Montreal is, is the one where you uh, build, you, you put your piece on your tower. And then after everybody's done that, we rotate chairs. And mm. do it again and so it's an elimination stacking game um but the tactical decisions you're making are uh about like do i is now the right time to make this tower like a a really difficult thing to work with like do i think i'm gonna get back to it because i wanted to crash before mm -hmm. i get here um but even so though that i don't think that's quite what eric's been eric is is asking about where there's tactical decisions that are not necessarily tied to the dexterity. So like a Euro game with dexterity on the side. So yeah, Eric, imagine Splendor, but in order to actually score your gems, you need to throw them into little baskets. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something where essentially you want a small action element to essentially maybe even a somewhat more, I don't mean traditional, but bigger, game yeah. i've i've never played it i just watched the kickstarter video but is kodama 3d kind of like that where it's kind of like set collection but it is. you have so, to build your tree and not let it fall over well if you lose parts they don't count so i guess that, that you can consider that that element so what happens is is that um you have your kodamas have their favorite colors and their favorite little items and so when you're trying to go around you might be collecting intentionally for their favorites or be, you're trying to actually uh, complete, so it might say you're either color matching or kind of like set collecting. And so you're only allowed so many, you know, you, you want things or even proximity furthest away, attached, whatever it is, there's a bunch of different objectives in it. Um, so I guess, yeah, actually the dexterity elements, the smaller element of it, the building is important because you need them to connect. You knock things over, you don't get them. <laughs> um, so I guess it's more of a game with a smaller dexterity element yeah i guess i actually would fall into that yeah 
So there you go. There's at least one example, Eric. There's but it's one. definitely a challenge. <laughs> um, it's definitely a challenge for some of the reasons you suggested. So yeah. we're getting close to running out of time. Um, so we should probably move on to other business. Uh, so uh, the first thing I suppose to say is this is our last planned episode of the summer. Um, yes. School is out forever, as far as uh, the song goes, in two days. And... Um, and so we have no concrete plans uh, for uh, weekly episodes in the next two months. Um, but yeah, we've got some stuff planned for the Patreon, the patrons, uh, because obviously we're all going to be at fun different places and have different things going on. Yeah. So we've got some we've got yeah. some fun stuff planned, and there will be a big announcement coming soon too. Yeah. So um, if you are uh, missing maple syrup this summer, uh, pop over to our Patreon where we will be experimenting with potential lines of new content and other things over over the summer months. Um, you'll still, of course, find us on the maple syrup page, but no planned broadcasts, although I make no promises about whether or not I'll show up with more rants. Uh, that are unplanned and unscripted. Yes. 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 <laughs> oh, and don't forget, go to the Patreon page anyway, because not all the content is paid. It's like we'll be putting things up there yeah. that is viewable by anybody. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't remember if there was something else that we needed to talk about. Let's see. Sen's giving me a list here. Uh, we have mentioned the hiatus. We have talked about Patreon. Anything else? Um, we can say where we're going to be over the summer. Was, sure, uh, yeah. Um, find while, us. <laughs> while I check in with Sen here, uh, where are I'm you going to be? Waldo. I, yeah, where's Waldo? Where are you? Where's what conventions Waldo? can people oh, track you down? I'm at? easy to pick out. It's the redhead going that way. It's <laughs> I'll be, I'll, one thing about being redheaded is everyone can find you in a crowd. Anyway, uh, I'll be at Dice Tower. Uh, I'm kind of secretly hoping I get to sneak away to San Diego Comic Con, but I don't think I really have time. I'll see. I'd really like to, but I think it's going to be a next year thing. Uh, Gen Con is uh, for sure. Then Fan Expo. Um, so uh, if you happen to come north and want to come to Toronto, Fan Expo is sort of like a bit like a Comic-Con, but uh, combined with a whole lot of other things as well. Um, and the game side is definitely growing there every year. And after that, well, we'll be back by that. Then, we'll so we can always talk about the next things. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will what be impossible doing? to find because I will be at none of that. Um, Sen will be at Gen Con, SDCC, Fan Expo, and Grand Con. And so if you can manage to see him in the sea of people, uh, look for the hat, um, then you can run into him there. Uh, yeah, so I think that brings us to a close, uh, both for the episode and the season. Uh, reminder, once again, check out the Patreon. Uh, we will be back sometime in September, uh, but in the meanwhile, we'll be over there experimenting and uh, doing some stuff. <laughs> so uh, thanks again, everybody, for being awesome meeps and tuning in, whether it's live on the YouTube uh, or later on in uh, on the Facebook page. We really appreciate all of you. Um, keep making awesome games. Uh, join the Shop Talk page if you haven't. If you have, participate, ask questions. Uh, it's a lovely yeah. group that's in there. So um, yeah, have yeah. a great summer. And uh, if you're not at conventions, still have a great time make, playing. Make and fun games and play make, fun games. Make and play some fun games, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I'm hoping yeah. if we log off, <laughs> this will actually end. This is the new experiment. Let's let, uh, should we should we just stay by and see what happens if we can't close the window? Uh, so I just got one more. I got one more tip from Sen oh, for those okay. those folks that are still hanging around. Um, we have been sort of working uh, in the back end to try and get some podcasty stuff together. Um, some unexpected opportunities came up, um, and so yeah, it's gonna. <laughs> and so stay tuned, just because we're not going to be coming up on you know Facebook Live chats over the next two months. There's definitely going to be a big announcement about uh, the status of the Maple Syrup Podcast, and so we're really excited, and we hope that you guys are too. Awesome. All right. All right. So I I don't know, man. Close video the thing is okay we, we're not running this so sen, i wonder what happens when all the guests sen, leave sen said that he's in control he's just not here so oh. i've i've if you're if you can hear this sen you please release us from our duty <laughs> i can just close the browser and he'll go away yeah we're right okay yes it's also that should we try too. that i feel like everyone's watching just to see what's going to happen all right should we check what are we doing closing I'm 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 gonna wait and see if Sen can can cut us I don't off. Think can. Uh, Paul has offered to run the show after we're gone if the stream continues. So um, <laughs> perhaps it's safe. To, if you trust Paul, it's safe to leave. It's like I could leave. Let's see what happens. Oh, Sen says yep to what? I'm I gonna to try to quit. Oh, he's gonna try to quit. Let's see if he can boot us out. He's trying <laughs> to quit. All right, now we're gonna see if. All right. Bye, How everybody. How much control does Sen have? It's going to be the longest, <laughs> most awkward goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to help support our podcast and the live show, please visit www.patreon.com backslash meeple syrup. Thank you for your support.